9. I'll be reading verse 8 to verse 12. We have the sixth plague. As we continue looking through the ten plagues and the Passover this summer, we look this morning at the sixth plague where God causes a very serious skin disease to come upon the people of Egypt. For using a pew Bible, that can be found on page 60. Let us now hear God's word. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the kiln, and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt, and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh. And Moses threw it in the air, and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. For the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. As far the reading of God's word, let's ask his blessing in a time of prayer. Father in heaven, we come before you as we now hear the preaching of your most holy word. May you give us ears to hear and eyes to see what the Spirit is teaching the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, may you work that grace in our lives that brings about transformation, that you would bring assurance and comfort and remind us of that day that will come, that day of judgment, that day of wonders when Christ comes again. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Congregation of Christ, when our possessions and wealth are taken from us, someone may say this, well, at least I have my health, that is my physical health, or at least my children are healthy. If someone maybe loses a job or has some wealth taken from them, at least I'm physically healthy. At least I have that going for me. For most people, wealth or possessions is a great concern, but overall, one's health is more important. It hits closer to home, doesn't it, when it hits your body? You seem to care less about wealth and possessions when you're suffering physically. We're more readily able to talk about our physical health than, let's say, our spiritual health. Think about that for a moment. We're quick to talk about how we're doing physically, but when we talk about spiritual matters, that's when the defense goes up. In the previous plagues, the Lord strikes, what? The economic health of the Egyptians. But now it hits closer to home in the sixth plague when he hits, strikes the physical health of Pharaoh and his people, the Egyptians. Like a dog that returns to his vomit, Pharaoh was a fool who repeated his folly of unbelief and rebellion against God. God says, let my people go, and he says, no. Plague after plague, and he's still saying no. 
In Jewish tradition, the rabbis would use Pharaoh as the epitome of the fool. The Proverbs talk about the foolish man and the wise man for the rabbis when they taught their Jewish boys and girls, they would teach, now, you want to know what a, a fool is? Look to Pharaoh. Look at what God has done to him, and he still isn't repenting. He still isn't showing true repentance or genuine repentance. So what's God doing in this plague when he strikes them, strikes their physical health? Well, there are a couple of things. First, the Lord humiliates Egypt's gods of medicine and healing. Remember, every plague is an attack against the gods or goddesses of Egypt. So he's going to first humiliate these gods. And then the Lord will repay. The Lord repays Egypt in the furnace of affliction. And then thirdly, the Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart. First, let's look how the Lord humiliates Egypt's gods of medicine and healing. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from the kiln. Now literally this can be translated, ashes from the furnace. And this is a, a, a furnace that was used for making pottery or bricks. Where's your mind going now? Bricks. Who had to make bricks? Who had that burden upon them? The Egyptians made the Israelites bake bricks. Without any warning, the Lord strikes Pharaoh in Egypt with a severe skin disease, humiliating a number of gods and goddesses. There, there were warnings in previous plagues. Now there's no warning. The Lord says, go, go, to, the, go to Pharaoh and do this. Send judgment upon them. And so he's humiliating a number of gods and goddesses because he's going to strike their physical health. For example, there's the goddess Sekhmet. And Sekhmet was a goddess of healing. And it is said by Egyptian historians that this goddess had a cure for every physical problem. She had the body of a woman, but the head of a lioness. And the head of the particular god associated to the animal symbolized some characteristic of that animal. When you think of a lion, you think of power. That's what the Egyptians saw when they saw a lion. They saw power. And so this goddess had the head of a lioness, and she symbolized power, power to heal. She was the medicine woman. Then there was the god Toth. He too was the god of medicine and healing. Except this god was associated with a man's body and a, and a, a head of a bird with a long beak. And then there was the goddess Isis. And we spoke a little bit about this goddess Isis. She's also the goddess of healing and medicine. And she was highly praised among women because she kept women safe during pregnancy and giving birth. She was an example to women because she 
teaches what it means to fulfill the role of womanhood or motherhood, of nurturing. And like most Egyptian gods or goddesses, she was associated with a particular creature as well. The scorpion, the cow, a sow, and a bird. So they had multiple animals that were associated to this goddess Isis. All of these gods, and there, there were many more gods and goddesses that were associated to medicine and healing. If one god didn't answer, they would go to another god in, in that god's temple. But the Lord, like in all of the plagues, he humiliates them when an outbreak of pus-filled sores boils or ulcers. They're not quite sure what this is, what particular skin this, disease this is. It could be a tumor, it could be... Uh, an ulcer, it could be leprosy. But the skin disease plagues the bodies of the Egyptians and the beasts, demonstrating that these gods and goddesses are, are powerless, powerless to intervene and cure the Egyptians and Pharaoh from these diseases. In fact, they are not the great physician. They do not have power over the body. They were powerless to intervene and cure them because only God. Only God has the power to give life and take life. Only God has the power to bring low and to raise up. Only God has the power over the physical body. Yes, we're called to take care of our bodies. The Bible teaches that. We are called to take care of our physical bodies. They're not to be used as our trash can. But at the end of the day, God has ultimate control over our physical bodies. And so God brings them low. God humiliates them because they worship these gods and goddesses. They look to these gods and goddesses to bring true healing and, and help. Before Israel entered the promised land, Moses warned them, saying, if you forsake the Lord your God and go after and serve other gods, the plagues of, that occurred in Egypt will come upon you. If you're taking notes, Deuteronomy chapter 28. We have the curses, and in verse 20 we read this, the Lord will send on you curses, confusion and frustration in all that you undertake to do until you are destroyed and perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. You have gone after the gods of the Canaanites. You've even sacrificed your own children to the gods of Molech. And then verse 27 of Deuteronomy 28, the Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt and with tumors and scabs and itch of which you cannot be healed. I've been saying this over and over again. These plagues truly teach us that He alone is God and there's none like Him. And He is very serious 
about rebellion against Him. He's very serious about evil committed against Him and His people. He's very serious that we know and grasp from these plagues that yet on the one hand, He is merciful and loving. His steadfast love is to thousands of generations upon those who love Him and keep His commandments. But upon those who reject Him, there is judgment, even judgment upon the gods and goddesses of the peoples. Now, this seems antiquated. We don't serve gods of the Egyptians, these gods like Sekhmet, Isis, and Toth, and other gods. But we have our own gods. We have the man-made idols of Western civilization and Western medicine. And How many people in the world worship the gods of Western medicine and homeopathic medicine and other medicines? Now, God has blessed us with these gifts of modern medicine and other avenues to bring healing to the physical body. But how much trust do we place in them? Who's the one that moves every cell and molecule? Who's the one that gives wisdom and knowledge and discernment to those who create medicines? Right? We call that providence. God providentially using men and women in the scientific field to create medicines that bring healing to the physical body. But how many people worship the creature and not the creator. It's interesting, isn't that what distinguishes Christians from the world? Who do we really give credit to? Who do we really worship? Is it the scientific community and the technological field? Or is it the God of heaven and earth who gives every good and perfect gift from above? Today, there are many within the scientific community and technological field who are trying to develop ways to bring about life, prolong life, even eternal life, so that we would never die. Finding a cure from every disease. But God alone is the Lord of life. God alone is the one who ordains all things that come to pass. God alone is the one who moves and brings healing. Not the God and goddesses of this world. For our bodies indeed will undergo decay and death. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. There will be no scientific discovery or technological advancement that will preserve life for eternity. Our only hope is Christ, our Lord, who is that free gift of grace to us and who will bring about true healing. For he is the great physician. God, the Lord, humiliates the gods of medicine and healing, proving that he alone is God in all the earth. Secondly, the Lord repays Egypt in the furnace of affliction. Look with me in your Bible at verse 10. Moses obeys the word of the Lord. The Lord gives him the command. 
Then in verse 10, so they took soot from the kiln, ashes from the furnace, and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses threw it in the air, and it became boils, breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the, upon Pharaoh and all the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. At the hands of Pharaoh and the Egyptians, Israel suffered greatly in the affliction of the furnace. In the furnace, they too were put. Look with me in your Bible at Exodus chapter 1. Verse 13, the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So verse 13 says, So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. After the exodus, Moses reminds the people of Israel of their bondage of Egypt and how God saved them from that ruthless bondage at Pharaoh's hands and at the hands of the Egyptians. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, we read this, And beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them. Things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace. Out of Egypt to be a people of his own inheritance as you are this day. The Lord brings them out of the kiln where they were burned. Symbolically meaning they were suffering great affliction at the hand of God's enemy. They were like soot in the kiln. And now the hot furnace has come upon who? Israel, or Egypt rather. The Lord repays Egypt in the furnace of affliction. When in verse 10 we read, Then they took the ashes from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh. Moses threw it in the air, and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. So when he threw the ashes from the furnace into the air, the ashes turned into dust. Remember we talked about that in a previous plague. We have decreation going on here. We have this text pointing us back to when the earth was formless and void. It was just dust in the earth. And God is making the Egyptians come to nothing, to dust. When the, the soot, the ashes are turned into dust, and then the dust becomes a contagion that then brings boils or some kind of skin disease upon the Egyptians. Mankind came from the dust, and the dust came for Egypt. Let us remember that Moses is like God to Pharaoh and to Aaron. He possesses the God-given power to bring Pharaoh and Egypt to their knees. And what happened to the magicians? They too, like the gods and goddesses, are powerless. They're impotent. They couldn't even get to Pharaoh and stand before Pharaoh's presence because they were filled with boils. 
You see the intensity of these plagues? You know, a few flies are an annoyance. But flies everywhere? (laughs) A few gnats are annoying, but gnats everywhere? One boil is a pain and enough to bring you to the doctor to get it lanced. But boils everywhere? Only Moses is able to stand before the tyrant of God's people. This Moses, who was once fearful and timid, was given a spirit of power and might to say, Thus saith the Lord, let my people go or else the Lord will repay. And indeed, the Lord repays. Perhaps you heard of the phrase poetic justice. You ever hear that phrase, poetic justice? Or there's another phrase used, poetic irony. Essentially, what comes around goes around. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. What is poetic justice? It's an occasion when something bad happens to a person who seems to deserve it, usually because of the bad things that person has done. Today, you even hear this word, and it's even used among Christians, the word karma. Karma, a word that comes from Eastern religions, Eastern mysticism. You get repaid for what you do. In fact, the next life you live in reincarnation depends upon the life you lived previously. That's karma. Or what happens to you in this life is a result of what you did in this life. Payback. But this is usually caused by an impersonal force. Karma is not the Christian faith. This is not what we believe. We do believe that the Lord will repay. What does the Lord say? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will what? Repay. What is it for the Christian to do then? To repay evil with evil? No. What does the Lord Jesus teach us? Do not repay evil with evil, but evil with what? Good. Because only God repays justly and righteously. And He does so according to His law. There will be a day when God will pour out His judgment and wrath upon all belief and the enemies of Christ. That's not our job. That's not what we're called to do as Christians. We're called to give that cup of cold water. We're called to love our enemies. Judgment is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. And we would do well as Christians to remember that and not respond in kind when someone afflicts us. And that's what God does, right? It is God who brings this judgment, not the people of Israel. In the New Testament, Paul writes this. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. So be worthy of the kingdom of God involves suffering, affliction, going through the fiery 
furnace of life. And then Paul says, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. At Revelation 16, verse 2, the Bible says, So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. For the people of God, we are saved. We are redeemed. We are saved from what? The wrath of God to come. Listen, congregation, and listen carefully. One of the things that I, I, I believe is lacking in gospel presentation is the judgment of God against sin. We tell people to be saved from their sin and misery, to turn to Christ and be saved and cleansed. But we forget to remind people of the day of judgment to come. Because why are you saved from your sin? Why did He cleanse you of your sin? Why did He redeem you? To save you from the wrath of God to come. Otherwise, what are you saved from? What am I saved from then? Isn't that hope for the Christian? That the God of heaven and earth, the God whom I've sinned against, blasphemed against, did all kinds of evil and rebellion against, should so love me so much to send His one and only Son to shed His blood for me so that I may have the forgiveness of sins and the life everlasting and that I will not bear the wrath of God against my sin. Do you not praise God then for that? Do you not bless the Lord then for that? Don't forget what you're saved from. Don't forget what you're saved from. In our affliction, we suffer in hope because God will repay those who afflict His people. For Christians, God gives relief because we are protected and preserved by our Lord Jesus Christ who rescues us and saves us from the bondage of our sins and from the wrath of God to come against all sin and rebellion. For this Jesus secured an eternal redemption through the cross, And His cross was that iron furnace for you. His cross was the kiln for you and me. Because what happened on the cross? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Darkness throughout the land... Pain and suffering of soul in the Son of God. Think that was just theater? Think that was just for effect? No, that was suffering of affliction by the Son of God. The suffering in the furnace. Now here's an important point. We deserve wrath and the plague, but God, who is rich in mercy toward us in Christ, does not repay our sins as they deserve. Sung earlier in Psalm 
103, verse 10. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to... But then, maybe you're thinking now of Job. Because when we talk about the iron furnace, when we talk about the furnace of affliction, there are two kinds. There's one of testing, but one of judgment. Of judgment. Job suffered with sores and boils. Pharaoh's heart. Verse 12. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. The Lord God who controls all things hardened Pharaoh's heart just as he told Moses. In chapter 4, verse 21, the Lord said to Moses, and the Lord said, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. And at Romans 9, verse 17, the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You have divine sovereignty and human responsibility 
these profound truths. It is God who hardens Pharaoh's hearts, and it is Pharaoh who chooses to deny God and harden, harden his heart. And so what do we make of this? Well, I think a suitable passage is Romans 9, verse 19 to 24, where Paul says, You will say then to me, why does he still find fault? Why does God still find fault in Pharaoh or any other? For who can resist his will? And Paul says this, But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Well, what is molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. Friends, these are deep, profound truths. And so we must enter into passages like this with great humility. Great humility. Because our minds are shallow and feeble compared to the mind of God. About a week ago, there was a well-known commentator on social, political, and cultural issues. His name is Tucker Carlson. And he's an Episcopalian uh, from the Episcopalian tradition. And he recently was interviewed by a group of Christians. And there was a moderator who was interviewing him. And he revealed to the group that was there that he started reading the Bible, the whole Bible, in February. He said he's never done that in his life. And so he said, I'm going to read the Bible. Uh, That was his goal. And so he started in the New Testament, finished the New Testament, and now he's almost through the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. He's in Deuteronomy right now. And he was asked about some of his conclusions that he's drawn from his reading of the Bible. And he said this. He concluded that every figure in the Bible is deeply and profoundly flawed. Deeply and profoundly flawed. He said, like, I don't know if I could be friends with that person, so flawed is that person. And so he learned that God used flawed human beings for his purposes. Then he secondly learned that men have the will to make decisions and live with the consequences of those decisions. But they're not really in charge, he says. He says they're not really in charge of the arc of history. They are being acted upon. Think about what he's saying. Isn't God sovereign? Pharaoh suffers for the consequences of his decisions, but he is not the ark Lord of history. He is being acted upon by the Lord of history, the sovereign one. And so what this man concluded is when he approaches God now, he approaches God with humility 
Because we are a flawed people, all of us. All of us. Flawed people. But God uses flawed people to fulfill his purposes. And for the Christian, he uses us to bring him glory, honor, and praise. To exalt the name of Jesus and call men and women everywhere to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. The Lord strikes Egypt's physical health, which is truly symbolic of their spiritual poverty and uncleanness. A plague of boils and pus-filled sores is the state of the spiritual condition, a very poor spiritual condition of each and every human heart. And Jesus Christ has come into the world to cleanse and purify through the cross and his shed blood, bringing healing, binding up our wounds so that we are forgiven and free and receive eternal life. He truly is the great physician of the soul, and he will bring true life to body and soul in the last day when redemption is full and free in the resurrection of the dead. In the resurrection, in the last day, what will be said of you? What will be made of you, friend? What will be made of you? Will you be raised to eternal life? Or will you be raised, as the Bible teaches, raised into a life of condemnation? Is that not the pressing question of our day, of every human being? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you for the good news of Jesus. We thank you, O oh Lord, that he is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is the sovereign one. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. The one who reigns and rules at your right hand. He is King. He is Lord. And he is Savior. He is the one that says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Oh, Father in heaven, we pray that by your Spirit, you would draw many hearts, many lives on this Lord's Day to yourself as your word is preached. Father, may you bring about conversion, confession of sin, and consecration to your great name. That we, O oh Lord, would be a people who learn to love you with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and learn to love our neighbor as ourselves. And where we fail and fall, and where we are weak, O oh Lord, for we are still flawed, we seek your forgiving mercy and love in Christ. And we embrace that promise and assurance that when we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Oh, Lord God, we thank you for the promise of the gospel. And we pray, oh, Lord, that you would bless us as we have heard your word and strengthen us with the truth of it. We pray in Jesus' name.